helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. Today we are discussing a topic that is, unfortunately, becoming more and more common among our young people and causing concerns for many families. Something that has been described as an epidemic among Canadian teenagers by James Armstrong in a November 2018 article in the Global News. We're talking about the practice of self-harm. Today's show is titled, Dealing with the Self-Harm Epidemic. In today's show, Michael will discuss self-harm from a biblical and psychological perspective, giving us insight into how to deal with this issue of self-harm that is impacting so many families. If you are new to Elim, you can find out more about us by going to our website at elimcounselingministry.com or by calling 1-877-544-3546. We are a professional counseling organization that can help you with just about any struggle that you may be dealing with. Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much, Denise. And it is so good to be on air again doing another topic, but even better, being in studio with you to ask me those questions, those questions that help us to shed light on this important topic. So this topic is very dear to my heart, Denise, because I see so many young people from many churches across our region that comes to us with this issue. They are suffering from self-arm, and they are feeling guilt and shame as a result of what they are doing. And many of them are struggling to stop. So I'd like to start right off the bat by just uh, reading from one of the letters that we got from someone who is suffering from self-arm. And she wrote, I'm an 18-year-old believer who have been cutting since I was 13 years old. I know what I am doing is wrong, but I can't seem to stop. I feel dead inside and have no joy from anything in my life. But when I cut, I feel alive. I have been prayed for by my youth leader and have even had the demon of death cast out of me. But I still have this urge to cut. I need your help. Can you help me? This is a cry of a desperate heart. And there are many people who are going through this issue. Parents who are suffering as a result of concern over their young people who are cutting. So as we go through this show today, we are going to be shedding some light on this topic. We are going to be giving insights as to how people who are faced with this uh, this issue, what they can do to help. We're going to be looking at biblical scriptures as well that, that will help with this topic, but we're also going to be looking at new research, and I, I emphasize new research that has been published on this issue of self-arm research from Harvard University by Joseph Franklin and by Jill Hooley that now is 
causing people who have been treating self-harm to go about it in a different way. So we're going to be tapping into some of those new research today. But before we get into this topic, I would like to remind our listeners of our healing retreat that is coming up on June 5 to 7 and remind you that the spaces are filling up quickly. I think we only have about five spots less left, Denise? For sure, yes. We have five spots left. And so if you are interested in attending this retreat, it's a fantastic time to for healing, both physical and psychological healing, uh, give us a call, one 844 3546 or go to our, our website at com. I'm sure we're going to help our listeners and give them hope today on this subject, Michael. So one of the things we talked about before the show was scriptures that well-meaning people take out of context in trying to help those or self-harming. Why don't you share and clarify some of these scriptures? Yes, I think one very popular scripture that is taken out of context is Leviticus 19 and verse 28. And I want to read that scripture to get a, get a gist of what what it says. So Leviticus 19:28 reads, "You shall not make any cuts on your body." for the dead, or tattoo yourselves, I am the Lord. So unfortunately, this scripture has been used to reprimand those who are cutting, to tell them that the Bible says you you should not cut yourself, or you shouldn't tattoo yourself. We'll have to do another show on tattooing, but but for today, we'll stick to the cutting part of this. And so let me say that this scripture is taken out of context because this scripture is not talking about cutting in the sense in which people cut today. Notice that it, it, it says, for the dead. So it actually represented a ritual, a paganistic ritual that was done in Old Testament times by the the nations uh, that that the, the Jews the Jews had to conquer, where they were actually cutting themselves for uh, as a, as a, as a religious ritual for the dead. But the Jews were urged by God not to take up, up these paganistic ritual. It is not talking about cutting in that context. When we think about the God that we serve, we see that God is not judgmental to those who are hurting. People who are cutting are hurting. And I think we do a disservice to them and a, a, and a disservice to the name of God when we quote scriptures like this out of context that heaps guilt and condemnation on the heads of these already hurting people. I think of uh, Psalm 34 verse 18, which gives us a totally different picture of God. Psalm 34 verse 18 tells us, the Lord is close to the broken hearted. He's not despising, he's not chastising people who are hurting. He's close to them and he wants to help. And through this show today, we hope that we are going to bring God close in a way that he can comfort and heal those who are going through uh, the the issue of self-harm or parents who are dealing with this very troubling issue. Thank you for this clarification, Michael, because so many people might have been hurt 
when others misuse these scriptures. This topic is quite heavy and might be new to some of our listeners. So can you explain this term? What is self-harm? Yes, I think that's a good place to start, Denise. So by self-harm, we are not talking about people who try to kill themselves, for example. Self-harm is referring to people who do intentional self-injury to body tissues as a, as an not as an intent of dying, but for the purpose of relieving themselves of emotional pain. So we're talking about uh, people who are either, for example, cutting themselves is one form of self-harm, but people also burn themselves. You have people who bite themselves and uh, people who bruise themselves with objects. And all of these are different forms in which body tissues are, are damaged to some extent. And as we go through the show today, we are going to un understand more about why people find relief from this strange kind of behavior. But to start with, uh, to, to, the, the principle to keep in mind that people who self-harm themselves do not have an intent of death or dying. And we're, and we're not talking about socially sanctioned uh, means of of damaging body tissue such as ear piercing people who pierce their ears and so forth because that is not that is not the same as the kind of self-harm that we're talking about that was a concise explanation michael self-harm is becoming an epidemic according to global news article which we referenced in the introduction but really how common is self-harm among youth what we find, Denise, from the studies that have been published recently is that for the general population, about 1% to 4% of the general population self-harm. But when it comes to teens, uh, the, the studies range anywhere from 13% to 23% of, the, of, of the, the teen population who are self-harming. And this is a huge percentage. If we're talking about 23%, we're talking about one in five. So in a youth group of 100 people, there could be as many as 20 people, close to 20 people in that youth group who are self-harming themselves. And I think this is rightfully called an epidemic. So I think it's very important for us to understand this because this is an issue that if you have not confronted yet as a parent or a pastor, that you are going to be confronting in some way in the near future because it is in fact an epidemic. Those are frightening statistics, Michael. And I can just imagine that parents who have teenagers who are self-harming might be worried that their child or their children is becoming, they're becoming suicidal. Is self-arm a precursor to a suicide attempt? Very good question. And many parents who, who, who find out that their children are self-harming worry that 
there, this is going to lead to suicide attempt. But the studies do not show that people who self-harm, as a matter of fact, uh, pe- very few of the people who self-harm actually end up killing themselves. One study describes it this way. It, it is said that the difference between self-harm and suicidality is, is, is in the attitude of the person's the person towards life. One is wanting to be able to cope with life that is self-harm. Self-harm, people who self-harm are doing so as a means of wanting to cope, whereas people who attempt suicide are actually trying to end it. So as a matter of fact, self-harm could be looked at as a way of a person trying to stay alive, trying to deal with the the pain that they're facing in in life in in a way that is not intended to end their life, but to help them to cope with their life so that they can live and deal with the pain that they're facing. So to answer your question, there is no study that link self-harm with suicidal behaviors. Well, thank you for explaining that with some research. You know, this will give parents hope. But I can't fathom, I really can't fathom, why would our youth want to inflict pain on themselves? Why? Why self-harm? Well, let me say this, that uh, I referred to two studies in the beginning, and let us talk about the study that was done by Joseph Franklin from Harvard University. One of the things that uh, Joseph Franklin found in his studies is that people who self-harm, they are not unique in any way. Previously, it was thought that people who self-harm, that they, 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 they had a special kind of uh, pain mechanism in their Bible that in, sorry, in their body that predisposed them to self-harm. But now, through the studies that Joseph Franklin has done, he's saying that just about anyone could become a self-harmer because he's saying that the mechanism that leads to a person becoming a self-harmer uh, exists in all of us. And he refers to this mechanism as the pain offset relief. And so what what this pain offset relief in a nutshell says is that when people inflict themselves with pain, for example, cutting or burning or something like that, eventually, not eventually, but shortly after, there is a burst of endorphins that their body produce that makes them feel a lot more calmer and peaceful than they did before they inflicted themselves with injury. So people who self-harm has tapped into this mechanism. They have discovered that by cutting or by burning themselves, they can have this sense of peace from the rush of endorphins after. So people who are self-harming are people who have actually tapped into this mechanism that is described as the pain offset relief. But there was another interesting study that was done by Franklin, by Joseph Franklin. And what he did was that he got two groups of people. One group was people who regularly self-harmed, and the other group were people who have never self-harmed in their life. And then he subjected the two groups to the self-harm stimuli of having their hands in icy cold water. What was 
uh, interesting is uh, or expected is that the the group who self harmed reported feeling better after going through this painful exercise. What was indeed surprising was that the other group of people who never self harmed also reported that they too felt better after the exercise. So this is what has led Joseph Franklin to believe that we all have this mechanism. If you have just joined us, you're listening to the Life Transformation Show. I'm your host, Michael Art of Elim Counseling Services, and with me in studio today is Denise, and we are here discussing the topic of self-harm. Today's show is titled, This Dealing with the Self-Harm Epidemic. If you have missed a part of this show, you can find it on our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Well, let's continue, Michael. You had mentioned earlier that 23% of youth self-harm. But there are many young people who are going through emotional issues that do not self-harm. Are there other factors that predispose some people to this behavior? Yes. What the studies that we referred to earlier in the beginning by Jill Holy of Harvard University, I think it's Holy, H-O-O-L-E-Y, Jill Holy of Harvard University, has come up with some interesting findings as well. And what this new study found is that people who self-harm has a very negative self-view of themselves. In other words, self-esteem issues could be a precursor or a predetermining factor as to who will end up self-harming themselves. So people who self-harm usually uh, have very negative view of themselves. They see themselves as being defective or bad or in some way unworthy. So it is this kind of belief about themselves that predispose these people to self-harm behavior. As a matter of fact, in one of the studies that Huli did, she exposed the the subjects to a five-minute program in which she encouraged them to talk positively about their strengths and to 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 expand on give examples of good things about themselves and what she found in the experiment is that after people were subjected to this 5 minutes only 5 minutes of this positive self esteem building exercise is that they they tolerated pain a lot less the pain stimuli that she exposed them to half the amount of time than they did before the exercise. So in other words, before the exercise, they would keep this pressure, uh, uh, this, this, this thing on their hands that, that created pressure and pain uh, twice as long as before they did after having this self-esteem building exercise. And so from this, what they're saying is that now the treatment towards self-harm should involve building a person's self-esteem because they're saying that, according to Hooley, that pain is a way that validates the person's sense of being bad or being damaged. And so you can overcome that by building the person's self-esteem. Interesting study, Michael. There are many mentors in churches that mean well. They work tirelessly with our young people. And some might be telling them to pray more, read their Bible more, 
be active in discipling others so that their mind is spiritually engaged. So tell me, is spirituality a buffer against self-harm? That's a very good question, Denise. Let me say spirituality can be a buffer against self-harm because in one study that was done, they show that having, and this is a study by a consoling company in 2015, uh, where they, where they said that having a heightened sense of spirituality has been shown to be related to overall better adolescence development. So if a person's overall development in adolescence and teenage years are better as a result of spirituality, that that would involve their self-esteem and make them less likely to cut. But let me say that just having spirituality doesn't necessarily mean that a person won't engage in self-harm behavior. Many people in our youth group Groups are cutting themselves, and uh, maybe they are too ashamed to talk about it. But if you begin to ask questions in youth group, it, youth groups, it would be more common than you think. And so, spirituality can be a way of coping as well. So, if you can teach people to use their their spirituality to cope, it could be a way of helping them not to fall into that kind of behavior. But spirituality alone is is not. Uh, does not necessarily mean that a person will not self-harm. Some of the young people that I have seen who are self-harming, they are in love with God. They love God and, and they want to serve God and they are zealous for Him, but they have emotional pain in their life. They're from divorced families, they have been sexually abused, and they have a pain that they're carrying that has not been dealt with. And so self-harm becomes this way of coping. Excellent. I know you have a heart for giving people hope, helping people. Well, let's give some hope today to someone who is listening to this show and can identify as a self-harmer or is a concerned parent or a mentor. What are some of the guidelines for dealing with this epidemic of self-harm? I want to use Psalm 42 to, as, a, as a lead into my answer to this question. Psalm 42 verse 5 says, My soul, why are you so disturbed within me? So we have the psalmist, David, I think, in this passage, who is asking this question as to what is going on? What is causing this emotional disturbance that is happening? David uh, will eventually put this to God or pray to God about what's going on. But before going to that, he is examining himself and trying to find a reason. And I think if we are helping people, if you're a parent or you're a mentor or pastor and you're helping people who self-harm, it's not enough just to give them Bible verses and to tell them to pray more. It's important for you to, like David, ask the why question. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your family? What was your childhood? like. And I know there are many erroneous teaching in Christian circles about you shouldn't talk about the past, but that is an incorrect way of looking at situation. The past is often a source of pain for many people and why young people cut because they haven't dealt with the past. So first, I think we need to ask the why question. Secondly, I think we need to 
tap into this new research that is that was done by Hooley uh, of Harvard University and help people to build their self-esteem. The scripture that we, we looked at earlier where people take it out of context and make people feel condemned, do not build self-esteem. Those scriptures uh, make people feel more guilty and condemned. We should be quoting scriptures of acceptance and God's love for people who are hurting to help them build their self-esteem. Let them know that God, God, they're, they're planned for by God and that God knows everything about them yet accepts them. And you can do exercise building, self-esteem exercise building exercise as a way of helping them to fight this cutting behavior because those are the steps that are necessary. And yes, spirituality is a part of that because uh, the spirituality can be helpful, but it's a step. It's one of the steps. It's not the first step. And so scriptures like First Peter 5 verse 7 can be helpful, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Scriptures uh, like Psalm 34, 18, 19 that I referred to earlier, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I think these scriptures can be helpful, but I think it is part of the solution where we use scriptures, but we also, as I said before, need to ask the why question. We we need also to help people rebuild their self-esteem, and we need to also give them scripture, teach them how to use their spirituality as a way of coping. So I see we are quickly come to the end of today's show. We we have to be wrapping up here today, but let me say that I hope you found these information that we give here helpful and that you if you're if you're a parent or you're a mentor that you would go back and you would listen to this show if you need additional resources then please feel feel free to call us we would be happy to help you with whatever you're going through we also want to use this opportunity to talk a little bit about the retreat that we have coming up what's the date again that is for the retreat so it's june 5 to 7 at Providence Point in Lanark. Yes, so the the retreat is coming up in June 5 to 7. Yes, we do have young people who come to this retreat as well. So we have had um, not many young people. We have young people who have come to the retreat. So don't feel that you're too young. If you're struggling with cutting behavior and you would like to attend this retreat, uh, remember, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven five four four three five four six, and we'll be happy to help you. We also want to remind you that it's important to sign up sooner than later because June seems like far away now, especially with <laughs> snow on the ground. But as we said in the beginning, we only have five spots left. And so if you want to attend the retreat, please feel free to give us a call as soon as possible. We also want to take this opportunity to remind you that we are a not-for-profit organization that depends on your donation to keep this program on the air and to continue to provide subsidized counseling. We see many people who come to us from low-income families who cannot afford the going rate of counseling, but we, we help them. We have also partnered with Bethel Care Center that provides uh, food and clothing to 
immigrant and newcomers to Canada who, who cannot yet support themselves. And we have partnered with them to provide counseling to those refugees and newcomers who are struggling. So if you would want to help people, then this, I think, is a fantastic way for you to help to sow in the lives of those people and to expose them to the, the things of God through counseling. So again, you can donate by going to our website at elimcounselingministry.com. You can also donate by becoming a, a, a sponsor of this show through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash elimcounseling. And you can become a member for as little as $5. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services. And your co-host, Denise Hart. Thanking you so much for listening. Praying that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart. Mm-hmm.